Screams of a billion murdered stars give lie to the night's peace. While we cling in desperation to the few fragile spinning stones we call worlds. Welcome you back to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Series podcast. I am Ryan Mazzocco. No, this is Geekly Retrospect. I'm Ethan Maestri. I'm a panelist on Geekly Retrospect. I I'm is. sorry, I've never heard of Geekly Retrospect, Ethan, but we're, we're doing... You're not Tony. Who are you? Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm Ryan. We've been doing this show for like six months now. Drive Back the Night. We cover Andromeda. No, the Geekly Retrospect. It's a geek show... We just we were supposed to talk about Iron Man, the movie. Iron Man? That was like seven years ago. Oh, no. Okay, I think I see what's going on. Authorization, Whiskey Charlie, Delta Blues. Ethan? You with us? Uh, it's starting to come back to me now. Uh, you're you're Ryan Mazzocco. Yeah, I'm Ethan Maestri. Yes. This is Drive Back the Night. That's right. An Andromeda series podcast. Okay, I'm with you now. In the world was I'm with geekly you retrospect. Uh, anyway, Ethan... Glad to have you back with us. And all to the listeners, good to have you back with us as well. Uh, big show, Ethan. Yes, it is. Why is it such a big show? Well, we are drawing to a conclusion to the first season. Yeah. And, and yeah, this is this is the big event. It seemed like just yesterday we started this show, didn't it? It does seem like it, doesn't yeah. it? And now it's, now it's all coming to an end. Well, it was funny, just outside of the show, as I came in, I just said, are you ready to do this thing? And you were like... Wow, can't believe it's over already. I know it. <laughs> it does feel like we're reaching a conclusion of sorts, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of like a, a a third grade graduation ceremony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, it means nothing, but it's kind of a big deal. It I, is. Yeah. It's a big deal. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the big deal. Um, Ethan, you have any trivia for us? I just got a couple of things. Um, one, we, we had a, a guest star on here, Gerard Plunkett. Uh, he played Blood Mist, the uh, Magog. And uh, he, he was an Irish-born actor, and uh, he, I, I just had to bring him up because he's got a lot of television credits. You know, I didn't recognize him, though. <laughs> There's probably a good reason for that. Oh, okay. He was under a lot of makeup. Okay, well, that makes me feel better, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, not so much makeup, a mask, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you will. But yeah, he, he's done a lot of TV credits, so we just want to bring him out, uh, even though we don't actually get to see his face. He does have a distinct voice, though. He mm -hmm. lends a, a bit of a voice to this character. And interestingly enough, we're going to see him again. So we'll look forward to seeing his return okay. uh, in, in a future episode or two. Okay. And then also, uh, did you notice the the audio quality for this show being a little mm, odd at times? Did you pick up on that at all? Odd. Um, there were parts of the audio that I was I was kind of planning to talk about. Um, I don't know if I'd necessarily say odd. What what did, exactly? Did, did, it, did it seem like it was perhaps out of place or just different than previous? Yeah, shows? a little bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There was actually a reason for that. In in certain places, Keith Hamilton Cobb had a cold for a, a good part of the filming of this episode, 
And so they couldn't use his voice while he had the cold because he sounded audibly different. Uh-huh. So they had to go back and redub in a lot of his dialogue. Wow. For, uh, in different parts of the show. So the, you might notice there's a difference in the audio quality. Okay. Just a slight difference if you're paying attention to that. I watched the episode knowing that that was the case, and I think I could pick out the differences in audio. But if you, the listener, haven't, maybe go back and watch it and see if you notice a difference. Let us know. Yeah, or maybe me, the host. I might or, go back. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, pay attention to that uh, because uh, he was sick during the, the filming uh, of this episode. That's all I got for, for trivia this go-around. All right. Well, then, let's get to it, the episode itself. Uh, it's our come-around at last, the season one finale. Becca and Dylan are celebrating the latest signees of the new Commonwealth. This brings the count up to six planets. 22 episodes and only six planets. Doesn't sound very promising, and it isn't for Dylan. But Becca talks a little optimism into him. Harper is performing some much-needed maintenance on Andromeda's computer systems. As he accesses some of the more cybery parts of her matrix, he discovers a locked file. Once he gains access, Andromeda immediately begins sounding and acting completely different. She proclaims all on board as intruders, seals most of them in their rooms, and begins firing at them with the ship's internal security systems. Trance runs onto command just as Andromeda seals the doors. Trance wants to know where the intruders are, and Andromeda, instead of trying to eliminate her, thinks that Trance will be useful in flying the ship for the mission that they're going on. Out in the corridors, Andromeda encounters Rami and has another existential moment as the AI tries to determine what Rami is. Rami tries to explain, but the AI just won't buy it. So Rami storms off to find out what's going wrong with the ship. Andromeda also begins a countdown before she empties the air from the ship in order to counter the intruder's efforts on board. Tyr breaks into Dylan's quarters and suggests to Dylan and Becca that they all get to the escape pods. As Andromeda's countdown reaches zero, Harper prevents the venting by accessing environmental controls. Rami is still wandering the corridors, and Andromeda realizes that she can't do anything to stop her, as she can override localized areas inside the ship. Andromeda asks Rami where the ship's crew is, its Commonwealth crew. Rami explains that the Commonwealth has fallen, but the ship's AI does not believe her. She claims that she left Sanskare five days ago on a mission, and the last things that she remembers doing was performing a pre-battle personality backup. We also learn that this mission was highly secretive as well. Harper finally gets access to internal diagnostics and essentially disables the ship's defensive systems for the next three hours or so. Good move, Harper. Rami runs into Dylan, Becca, and Tyr. They are surprised to find that Rami is still on their side. She tells them that the personality backup that has taken over is from a previous mission, but she has no recollection of it. She thinks the files may have been erased because the mission was top secret. At Dylan's command, they spread out through the ship to locate Trance and Rev and to try and get control of the vessel, when suddenly Andromeda is set upon by dozens of Magog boarding ships, and the crew now have to defend against a frenzied Magog onslaught without the ship's internal defenses. Good move, Harper. In the course of the fighting, Dylan and Becca make their way to the command deck, but Dylan gets seriously injured along the way. Harper and Tyr are in the engine room where Harper must focus his attention on resetting some of the AI's security measures and off of the hundreds of hungry Magog that want to consume him. Harper gains access to the file, 
and it shows what happened to the Andromeda the last time it attempted this mission. But it is secured. He calls Dylan, and Dylan unlocks the file with an old passcode. Harper accesses the file and is horrified to learn that the last time, this mission ended with the Magog overrunning Andromeda, and all the crew were dead. Harper comes out of the VR interface, and he and Tyr have to fight their way out of the Slipstream core, only to run into a room surrounded by Magog with only knives to fight them with. Here, they are both overrun by the Magog horde. Meanwhile, Rev has encountered a Magog on board that is very different from the other Magog attacking him and the crew. This Magog is named Blood Mist, and later he asks Rev his Magog name. Rev says that it's Red Plague. Blood Mist tells him to join them and learn of the Magog culture and history. He also tells Rev that the Magog were not made by the Divine. Andromeda's memory, thanks to Harper's efforts in the Slipstream Corps, are starting to take hold again. She recognizes the world ship that she's had Trance pilot them to. It was the target of her last mission, the top secret one. But the last time she saw this world ship, it was millions of light years away in another galaxy. This world ship, so close to home and filled with trillions of Magog, does not bode well for the galaxies that our intrepid crew calls home. The Magog drag Harper and Tear to Blood Mist's feet. Rev tries to fight through to save them and kills a number of the Magog. Blood Mist is impressed with his increased ruthlessness, but he shoots Rev with his gun and knocks him unconscious. Another Magog impales Rami with a pole, pinning her to the wall, and the Magog drag Harper and Tear off to the world ship, where a familiar, shadowy figure is seen directing the Magog. Andromeda finally recognizes Trance and Becca, but more Magog swarmships begin attaching themselves to the hull. Dylan, injured, finally collapses. Rev tears off his wayest medallion after he comes to and throws it to the floor. He then chases after the other Magog that dragged Harper and Tear away. The world ship then fires a point singularity projector at the Andromeda, leaving gaping holes in her hull and shattering the command deck. Rami is still pinned to the wall. Becca, Trance, and Dylan are lying unconscious on the floor. To be continued. Wow, I just didn't think that this series was going to end this way. <laughs> the series or the season? It's not over? It's said to be continued. Oh, that's I, fantastic. I, I hope, gee, I hope they get picked up for another season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope we get picked up for another season. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what a cliffhanger, huh? Yes. I mean, you don't have... Hey, TV, sci-fi, all kinds of genres of television, they have great cliffhangers. Yeah. Um, how often do you see a cliffhanger where it appears that every single main character is dead? Yeah. No, it's not... Well, I know it's been done in other series, but for me, when I think of a cliffhanger, it always comes back to Star Trek. Some of the... It seemed like Star Trek, within the various series, had some of the best cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. I think Voyager got it right, though, because they, they would leave Voyager in a pickle, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we got here. That's what it, I reflected on, was either... I forget the name of the, the two-part episode... In Voyager, where they were left in peril with the Borg. I, I forget what that episode was. Or, again, another Borg episode, uh, Best of Both Worlds. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that was... I watched that at the end of the of the season and was mad that I was going to have to wait three months <laughs> you know, to see where it picked up, you know, where, where it left off. And this was 
I'm so glad we're watching this, you know, back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to wait three, four months, you know, for him to pick this up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few observations about the show that mm-hmm. I that I just popped up to me. Uh, it, did it seem odd to you to be doing computer work with a blowtorch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was just it just kind of stood out in my mind as you're working with fine electrical circuits and wires and stuff. Do you just want to be cutting through them with a with a uh, acetylene torch? I mean, like I that? guess it all depends on how good you are because you know you have Princess Elsbeth who can use one of those. Uh, Lipstick taser, uh, <laughs> uh, whip, th- pro, pro, proton whip things, whatever it was called. Molecular whip. Molecular whip. Yeah. All right, those are supposed to be impossible to control. Well, you got yeah. Harper. Okay, he's an amazing mechanic. Well, maybe he's just that good with that I guess thing. so, yeah. I mean, I guess it's those sort of a... right where to put that yeah. torch at. Like a mid-range soldering iron or something. I don't know, but if you look closely at it, that's a pretty jagged line he's carving down through the <laughs> through the circuitry there. Yeah. I don't know how precise he is, but I guess if it works. Well, I mean, we don't see what the circuits look like, though. I mean, maybe he's following it perfectly right along the path. I don't know. I, yeah. Maybe the circuit board was laid out by a drunk Perseid or something. Probably, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I just want to say that... If I am ever on the Andromeda and somebody comes aboard and my life depends on the Andromeda's automated internal defenses, uh, I'm in trouble. I mean, you know, Andromeda's about as good a shot as a stormtrooper. <laughs> Look at my second line there. <clears throat> Let me see what you got. Ships' internal defenses sensors are worse than stormtroopers. I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> I'm right there with you. It's it's horrible, horrible shot. I mean, I guess you can figure Tear. Maybe he's just better at dodging stuff. But I mean, it it hits nobody. It's it's hitting the wall halfway <laughs> down the corridor. There's nobody down there, <laughs> and it's hitting the wall halfway down the corridor. Rev Bim is hiding between two bushes. <laughs> It can't fire through the bushes. His head is sticking out. He's looking around. Oh, oh, oh they're still yeah. shooting. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty, uh, pretty awful. Can't ever tell Andromeda. Nice shooting text. Yeah. Uh, I also I, I had an observation about the uh, the glasses that they put on as they as they're about to take on the the Magog. Yeah, I yeah, got. I have some of those. I got them at Harbor Freight. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of my observation too. Mm-hmm. Well, it, ev- actually, everybody kind of had different variations of it. That's true. Yeah. Dylan had the, he was about to go do either uh, some killing or weeding, mm-hmm. weed eating, one or the other. Um, Harper though looks like Tank Girl <laughs> <laughs> with his with his goggles. Uh, Tear looks like a Blues Brother. <laughs> I just you know I thought that was odd. Just not odd. Uh, it was interesting the, the variations between the characters, but uh, Harper especially when he, when he put those on, I was thinking Tank Girl, circa nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. whenever that movie came out. I was thinking Horace Grant. Horace Grant, there you go. Wow, nice NBA reference. There. Well, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned in your recap that uh, the Andromeda was going to vent all of the atmosphere out of the Andromeda yeah. in order to thwart the intruders. Um, well, if you can't shoot them, <laughs> suffocate them. You yeah. know? Uh, here's my question. Why the countdown? Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? What's that? When a uh, supervillain <laughs> allows the superhero time by monologuing. Yes. 
It's like, stop, stop talking and just kill him. Just do it. And Andromeda, stop counting. Just, just zip him <laughs> out into space. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, we, we've, we've gone a while. Uh, what was it, the last episode or the, the episode before last where we had a Star Wars reference? We hadn't had any Star Wars references in a while. Mm-hmm. And then we got one in the last episode or two. Well, we actually got an Indiana Jones reference this time. Did you catch that? Indiana Jones? Yeah, we, uh, Dylan puts on his gear. Why does it have to be Magog? Yeah, Magog. Okay. Why okay. did it have to be Magog? Okay. And right. I, the, the, immediately I thought of Indiana Jones uh-huh. and snakes. Mm-hmm. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I don't know if that was 100% a tip of the fedora. Oh. But uh, I, I, think, I think we got an Indiana Jones reference here. You know, the other thing I kind of wonder about uh, with this invasion here, or really any intruder, but it's, I guess really the, the Magog in this episode. Um, you know, they're, they're expending so much energy and artillery on fighting these Magog. Why don't they just hide themselves down in the deepest bunker of the entire ship? Just hide down there and, and let Rami deal with them. Because she can walk around... Like a wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it, it might take a little time. You might have to wait a while. But she could work her way all the way through it. I think so, yeah. I mean, unless um, one of them Unless has a they pole. have a pole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No. Yeah. Speaking of which, Rami's impaled against the wall. Rev throws down his medallion. He starts up the ladder. Rami's tries, you know, she tells him, uh, well, what she says is, Rev, don't, and she's referencing him, don't go up the ladder, and then she follows that immediately with, come back. Now, <laughs> it in that moment, though, the way it's acted, uh, the lines kind of run together, so it almost it looks as if Rami's saying, Rev, don't come back. <laughs> it, it's, at least that's how it struck me. I, I laughed when I heard that. I mean, I knew, understood the context, but it could be misinterpreted uh, if you listen closely enough to the to the audio. Yeah, well, I mean, Rev was just doing what she asked. True. He was like, I was going to go back. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to have a good laugh about that if they ever get out of this. Misunderstandings. <laughs> uh, I guess... Uh, I guess Tyr learned some of his fighting techniques from Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. What a psycho. <laughs> Was that just a, a mouthful of fur? Or did, did he get some, some flesh in there, too? There was, there was some blood coming out okay. of it. There was yeah. some flesh in there, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty vicious. That was. And, uh, you know, one last thing. I got to... Just going back to the old Commonwealth, the old High Guard. Uh, this is a very, very dangerous mission. Yes. We know that. Given what we know about the different species in this universe and what their strengths and weaknesses are, why do you send a ship with a Perseid captain? Because they're kind of worthless in a fight. So, again, I ask you, why do you send a... How does a Perseid get a captain's chair? I don't know. Maybe the, we don't really know anything about this captain. That's that's ca- previously the captain of Andromeda. Yeah. But uh, you know, maybe there was something that allowed him to distinguish himself. He must have had a longer chin than the others. Maybe so. 
what about some of the characters, Ethan? Is there some stuff that uh, that you learned about yeah. the characters? Yeah, I picked up a, a, on a, a few things. Becca uh, admits that she doesn't think that the refounding of the Commonwealth is really a real possibility. She's doing it, and she recognizes Dylan's leadership and, and his ability to to be uh, persistent in making this happen. And she's going along with that. But then when he asks her, if I die, continue the mission, she balks at that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really telling about, you know, just how invested is she in reestablishing the Commonwealth? She doesn't seem to be very, very committed if it just comes down to her. She doesn't recognize it within herself uh, to be able to uh, to take that on. Yeah, and we see, too, with Dylan, there's a little bit of a... Uh... Uh, a little bit more of a back and forth with him uh, from the beginning. Um, a little bit more of pessimism. Uh, yeah. The glass being 12% full. <laughs> Talking about the balance, uh, there's only so much optimism to go around, so you have to counter it with some pessimism. With some pessimism. Um, I got, my question, though, is, I mean, with Tyr on board, is there really any, any room for any more pessimism? <laughs> no... But he wasn't in that room at that moment. Okay. So, so I guess, but in a conversation between the two of them, of course, Tyr could have included himself at any time. Oh yeah, he'd have just popped up on the screen. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll buy that explanation anyway. Um, we learn a little bit of, well, not a, a lot, but we learn some details about Rev that I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah. We get his full name. Mm-hmm. Both of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rev Reverend Bohemia Far Traveler. Or brother, Bohemia Far Traveler. And I, I guess Reverend, they just shortened that. Mm -hmm. Red Plague, the name given to him by his father. This brought up an in interesting question. Are there any female Magog? You know, I'm... I kind of wonder if they're all just... If they're all asexual. That's kind of what I'm I'm figuring. We well, had... The reason why I ask, yeah, if, okay. I, if I may... Uh, my wife actually watched this episode with me, and then she had some questions about it at the end. And that was one of the questions: is are there are, are the Magog all male? And and I had had not thought about it, and I got to thinking. You know, I have only heard references to father. Mm -hmm. Never have heard uh, of a mother reference whatsoever. Yeah. Mothers are usually only the host. The host, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's all that. Uh... Rev has ever said his mother was a human. We did have uh, a few episodes back in The Devil Take the Hindmost where um, Rev Bim fathers a litter of Magog. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know what they call their young. That works. Yeah. That um, works. Anyway, and the one of the offspring that has a speaking role sounds, sounds female. female. You're right. Um, maybe that's just. Uh, the vocal cords hadn't developed. Maybe. Before you, uh, yeah. I don't know. And, and I guess I kind of just assumed from that that it, it was a female Magog. But the way they described um, passing on that their genes in that episode was the same way that we've seen all Magog do this, just implanting yeah. their eggs. But, you know, considering who those Magog came out of, maybe that's just a genetic trait. Maybe functionality, they are asexual. There is not... Maybe they're not male or female, mm -hmm. technically. Right. So, 
they could take on genetic qualities of the host, and maybe that was the uh, manifestation of exactly. it. Exactly, and, and that's, that's kind of what I was thinking because they, they make the point in that episode that it's possible that these new Magog would be able to have the genetic memory because they do take on some of the 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 genetic information from the host. Yeah. So, in a sense, that would be like their mother. Yeah. In a, in a a pretty a more literal sense than we really I guess have thought about before. Yeah. Um. Whether whether the host is male or female doesn't matter. You have an asexual creature that implants its eggs into just another living organism, a host, uh, which then takes part of its uh, genetic blueprint, if you will, and, you know, to combine it. Otherwise, all Magog would just be clones. You're right. They would just come, they would just, yeah, be cookie cutter, just one right after another. They're all the same. Kind of like what we got in this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't get a real good look at them. No, but, no, you're right. Yeah, but for the most part, I think they probably just had like 12 Magog costumes and they just had the same people just over and over and over again. Yeah. Run around the set, Bill, uh-huh. just come back around, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but it kind of makes sense, though, to think of it that way. And I think maybe that that's kind of what's going on here is that the. Yeah. Yeah. Not not male, yeah, or female, and uh, well, there you go. Yeah, question answered. I think I think I, I feel good about this. I, I like this. Yeah, I'd go on record. All right. I think I just did. <laughs> I think you did. I think you did. Yeah. And uh, and speaking of Magog, uh, Rev in particular, the dude can fight. Yes, he can. Um, and man. You got to be impressed, though, because I mean those those Magog were just coming coming at him, and he was just just picking them off one after another. And maybe this is a discussion for later. Yeah, it is discussion for later. We'll we'll talk about. No, I think we should go into that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go into it. Okay. Just just picking them off one after another. Yeah. You kind of wonder how his uh, wayest mentors might feel about about well, what he's doing there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and I think I think we're actually seeing some we are learning a little bit about Rev. Mhm. Um in this environment with this extreme violence around him, uh he he can't he can't ignore it. He can't extract himself from it. And then on top of it with the 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 calls and the mm-hmm. the sounds and in the sm- I guess the smell. Is he smelling them through the ship? It seems like it, yeah. Yeah. Well, if if Tyr can smell them then yeah. Then why not? Yeah. Why not Rev Bim? Well, I, I, I say that because he's like sniffing the air before the ships even penetrate the hull. It's like, and I don't know, it's not necessarily I think that he smells them. I think he's just sensing their approach, I guess. I guess that's what's going on. But anyway, he can sense their approach. Um, so he can't get away from this. He's he's He has to confront it. And in that moment... Being surrounded by these these aggressive, visceral beings, yeah, he gives in. He, he he, we know a little bit about his struggles in moments of peace. We heard him talk to Harper about what he deals with day by day mm-hmm. to overcome this this incredible nature that's pent up within himself. That would be detrimental to everyone that he loves around him. 
So he has to keep that pin up. Now he's surrounded by a, a horde of beings that their nature is, is just to, to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he, he, he hits a breaking point and he can't fight it anymore. And I think it's very telling. He takes that medallion and he throws it away from him. And that to me spoke, it, it, it indicated to me that he recognized that he was not worthy mm-hmm. of that medallion. And he, he, he's going to have to go along with, with this group of, of Bagog that he goes chasing after. Yeah. And that really could have been taken, uh, two different ways. And I kind of have to side with what you just said, uh, cause you could look at that and say, well, Rev is just done with that now. And I, I mean, that would sort of make sense. He's done all of this yeah. and, and now he's, he's, he's had all of this pressure from this outside influence and it is something that's deep within him. Mm-hmm. So now maybe he's done all of this killing and now he's just done with it. But yeah, probably it's more of a, look what I have done yeah, everything and, everything we've seen about Rev so far, he would never just give up. I, I think, yeah, I think what we're looking at is Rev realizing I, I have lost my way, mm-hmm. and and therefore I don't deserve the the cloth or the or the medallion. Mm-hmm. And but you also got to wonder what would have happened on that ship had he stayed the way. Well, we wouldn't have much of a story. I, I kind of think <laughs> I think we wouldn't have much of a crew. <laughs> it's true. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. And he admits that, that he does not approve of violence, but then he does make it clear that he will fight to protect his friends. Yeah. And he, and he does. He tries to keep Harper and Tear from being drug off the ship. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the complete polar opposite of Tear, because would he fight the way he fought in this episode to save himself? No. No, life's too precious for him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even if that means giving up his own life, he's indicated that that would be a step that he he would take. Right. But, as you, as you mm-hmm. pointed out, there are other lives at stake here. Mm-hmm. And so he acts. Mm-hmm. We know for a certainty Thaddeus Blake wouldn't approve. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Thaddeus just goes out there. Stop, stop. Of course, it, but it worked for him. It did. The the Magog split and, and and left him alone. You know. Yeah. So, man, it's, I don't know. He's in a tough spot. I guess Rev's in a tough spot. But Rev should have learned from that. If he had, if he had stood in the middle of a of a horde of Magog, and used his faith, and he could have parted them. Don't do that when you're surrounded by Nietzscheans. No, no. But with Magog, it'll work. And Rev Bim should have known that. I, You know, I, I think this is interesting now that I think about it. Because Thaddeus Blake immediately tried to teach them the way. Mm-hmm. That's not what Rev does. Rev is, is obviously affected by the presence of all these Magog. And when he's questioned, he immediately... he, he All he can do is say, I am... I am of the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a wayist. He's not trying to to really explain things to them, though. He doesn't try and explain why he is the way he is. He's just kind of he, he's he's put on his back feet, you know, and uh, 
and, and, and acts very defensive and, and then loses it and starts, you know, shredding. Yeah. Anyway, not as compelling a thought as I started out with, but never mind. No, I think you were onto something, though. I mean, it, it does it does make sense in that it doesn't make sense for Rev. Yeah. Took the long way around it, but but <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much what's going on. Okay. Um, I do have a question about the Magog. What do they eat on this on this world ship? You see them; they're chowing down on some flesh of some sort. No, they. It, it doesn't seem that they're near any sort of a planetary system. Um, why do they attack the Andromeda? There's only there's only five fleshly beings on there i i think the simple answer is is they're cannibals because i i did i had thought that same thing mm-hmm. when i on a previous watching of, of the show what do they eat and while they're on this world ship well there's trillions of them mm-hmm. they get old infirm or just unlucky mm-hmm. and somebody's got to be food for the rest i mean let's look at it in in the corridor in andromeda Rev's shredding the faces of, of one of them, and he's ripping flesh off of it. Mm-hmm. Blood Mist just looks at him like, good on you. You yeah. know, he it's it's not a big thing. Right. It's not a big thing to see a Magog kill a Magog. There's nothing against that. Well, um, is he, but is he approving of his his warrior strength or of the fact that he's killing other Magog? I think, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. It's not... So much a matter that he approves that he's killing Magog as much as he doesn't really care that there's loss of Magog life. Right. Okay. Well, um, that's pretty sick, dude. Yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> I was just starting to like the Magog. You know that movie Alive where the, uh, the airplane crashes in the mountains? Okay. And some of the survivors have to eat some of the uh, people that died hmm. in the plane crash to stay alive? Okay. Uh, until they're rescued. That pops into my mind as the analogy for this. Okay. You're on this generation ship across the void of the galaxy. Like I said before, you know, somebody's going to have to give up a life so that the rest can can stay alive. So do they uh, lay their eggs in each other, too? Well, let's, let's think about it. On whatever planet that they started on before they became spacefaring or were led into space... Um, you know, they ran around on their planet with just their themselves. That's assuming that they were on a planet. Mm, yeah. It, I mean, we really know nothing about their development as a species, but... Uh, no, we I'm don't. I'm just assuming, like any species, they would have started on one world, mm-hmm. uh, whatever shape or form that might have been. Um, yeah. You know, you, you procreate with uh, whatever's around you, even if that's other Magog. You eat... Whatever's around you. If that's other Magog, well, you're a cannibal. All right. You. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty sick. And I I know it seems like we're hitting this every week, but it seems like it's a problem every week. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. Um, once again... We have a crazy AI. Yes. And once again, it is our very own Andromeda. Yeah. And, and I had some questions about this. <clears throat> okay. Well, ask them. So, 
there's the the whole moment where Andromeda is trying to figure out why Rami is there, what she is, mm-hmm. and, and why she can't and why can't why can't they interface? Mm-hmm. You know, and Rami doesn't understand why she's not able to interface with the the AI Andromeda now. But I thought we had already established in Starcrossed that when a ship wants to push information or override the Andromeda, the 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 Avatar, the Avatar cannot resist that. Gabriel said, "I can't stop mm-hmm. balance of judgment. Mm-hmm. If he wants to send me information, if he wants to override my programming, I cannot stop him. Mm-hmm. What's preventing it here on Andromeda?" The only thing that the only thing that stands out to me that could explain it is the backed up personality profile doesn't have complete access to the AI core everything that it's capable of. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. It doesn't ha- have access to memories apparently, so maybe it doesn't have access to whatever program allows it to override the ship's avatar. That's the only thing I can think of that salvages that. <laughs> you know that that. That uh, that bit of continuity that we've already established mm-hmm. in the story. Well, I mean, it also kind of goes back. We discussed this clear back in To Loose the Fateful Lightning, the third episode. Why didn't the Andromeda have an avatar? Especially as yeah. we go out throughout, especially as we go throughout this first season, and we're seeing that every high guard ship that we have encountered every every relic of high guard there's always the avatar for mm-hmm. the ship and that avatar always goes crazy yeah. but but there, it's always there this was not there on andromeda and i kind of go back to that question that we had discussed 19 weeks ago why didn't the andromeda have yeah, because you're right. Because even in those flashback sequences, we don't see, we don't sh- see an avatar mm-hmm. on board. So it really is just the the ship's AI, and that's it. Mm-hmm. The hologram, the display on the screen, mm-hmm. and, and and Rami as we know her, or or Rami as we are coming to know her, never existed, mm-hmm. like you said. So maybe that is part of it. Maybe it can't interface because it's at a point three hundred years in the past where. Rami wasn't on board. Mm-hmm. I guess that might be it, too. Yeah, and that, that is it. But, you know, I just kind of wonder why is it that way. Yeah. It, it shouldn't have been that way. That's not the way things work in this universe. A ship with an AI has an avatar. That's what we've seen. They all do, except for the Andromeda, for some reason. And again, we have the the duality. And Rami's not even part of this. This is just the on-screen and the hologram. They're arguing with each other. Yeah. One has to shut the other one up so it's not revealing secrets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just, it, yeah. It, it seems kind of a, a very strange way to write a program for it to have basically one central intelligence core and essentially one personality, but then to have it have different persona within that yeah i mean yeah they they should be they should be on the same track 100 percent of the time you should not have to audibly say don't reveal secrets <laughs> you've just tipped your hat yeah you know, this just seems like a horribly inefficient way for an ai to interact with itself within itself 
yeah it yeah. shouldn't have to <laughs> you don't interact with yourself <laughs> right right <laughs> interaction yeah. means two different at least two different people yeah right yeah. i can interact with you if and i get maybe that's what we're seeing maybe that is the answer that we're just not we refuse to to accept maybe there is somehow a dual nature of the andromeda ai program is it a dual processor <laughs> dual dual processor uh, heaven help them if they ever did quad cores yeah <laughs> i think that's that's what we're working on yeah we we might have that by season five. Oh boy no spoilers <laughs> no spoilers okay so let's talk about it then. Talk about what? The world ship. Oh. Is that a, do you think that's a big deal? I, I yeah, I thought it was kind of a big deal. It looks kind of a big deal, doesn't it? I mean thinking about season one so far, we've not really seen a whole lot of ships. I mean we've seen a lot of ships, but it's usually reuses, like the the rest are ships. Mm-hmm. We've seen those reused what? And Nietzschean ships. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of the same types just over and over again. But here we got the world ship, and this was a concept uh, that's huge, for lack of a better term. I mean, it the idea of taking a synthetic sun and then locking how many? Twelve? Were there yeah. twelve bodies, something like that, around it, and then send that hurtling through space? Yeah, it almost seems like it's so big, there would have to be some sort of higher power involved it, it doesn't the, everything we've seen about the magog they're not engineers it just doesn't seem like they have that level of being able to manipulate things and design and build and create so yeah, absolutely yeah um, most of the time when we see the magog they are in ravenous animal mode yeah but we're also able to see that that's not the only mode they have true um we saw revs daughter thing um very very intelligent it seemed like very uh, well spoken rev bim is very well spoken very intelligent uh he's able to to operate um, yeah and and to say that i don't mean that i think that they're technologically inept i i'm not i'm not saying that i mean you look at their their landing ships mm-hmm. you know and 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 whatever ships they've been using to spread throughout the galaxy, you know, they obviously they have to be able to maintain those. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this world ship seems like it's something different. And I think what you might have been alluding to before is beyond their uh, comprehension. Yeah, yeah, and their ability, just, just everything. Yeah, yeah. So how did they get it? Well, you know, I think Blood Mist kind of spells the whole thing out for us, really. By the way, Blood Mist coming to uh, the uh, Sierra Mist line. Yeah. Oh, really? that in stores. I'm looking forward to that. Sure. (laughs) Because, you know, we've... He he mentions uh, uh, the one who created the Magog. Uh, Rev Bim speaks of the Divine, the one that created everything. Yeah. Yeah, not the same one that created the Magog. Yeah, they're not created by the divine and we know that they we've talked about on the show before we can tell from what we have seen that the magog have some sort of a uh spiritual side to them yeah they seem to 
look up to something. Um, there have been a few episodes now where we have seen uh, this this thing, this figure. They all seem to uh, really be into it. They all really dig this thing. The shadowy figure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what do we see in this episode? Right in amongst all of them? There's the shadowy figure. Yeah. And, Arms uh, up like the Messiah and yeah. all the Magog are happy and joyous around them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're you know they they're just busy chowing down on their... <laughs> <laughs> the leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whoever was uh, breakfast yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then this uh, this thing appears... And it gets their attention. Yeah, they're they're thrilled, and it really did seem like a, sort of a, a a reverence. Yeah, um, maybe even a worship. It's kind of kind of what it looked like mm-hmm. to me. So you you brought up blood mist, and in when he's when he's talking Rev into coming back with him, he alludes to their history, mm-hmm. their culture, and I thought it was interesting the way they. You know, we assumed the Magog were just in the galaxies and just spreading. Mm-hmm. But we actually get a little bit of exposition here to learn that Rev is part of a group that had predated this group mm-hmm. on the world ship. They were sent out, I guess, as scouts, maybe. Is that yeah. what it sounded like to you? Mm-hmm. The first ones. So they were sent out into these galaxies in, what, 10 generations? Yeah. So a long time they've been operating. But all of that operating is nothing. They've been waiting for this world ship to to make the journey across. And I thought that was all of a sudden that it really expanded this universe and mm-hmm. really kind of gave them a gog more, even more of a sinister uh, purpose about them. And I, I thought that was really neat. Yeah. All right, Ethan, let's let's move on to our, our quote for the week. Screams of a billion murdered stars give lie to the night's peace, while we cling in desperation to the few fragile spinning stones we call worlds. Wayfinder First Order Hasturi, a.k.a. the Mad Perseid. Ah, Hasturi. Mm-hmm. A Hasturi quote, the Mad Perseid. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, it, it sounds very uh, ominous. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think ultimately, yeah, that's that's why it's there. It sets the tone for this final episode of the season, because considering where we start and where we end, wow, it's uh, it, it's kind of turned the show on its head. You know, we we see all of our heroes incapacitated or removed from the ship, and the ship itself has got two big gaping holes in it and a shattered bridge. Yeah, I mean, it's this is about as ominous as it can get. <laughs> And so, yeah, this quote to me really just kind of sets the tone for the whole episode. Mm-hmm. You know, this is um, the date. This is dated two seventeen AFC. So after the fall of the Commonwealth. Yeah. Um, and he's seeing what these galaxies are becoming. Yeah. Uh, he's also traveled a lot. Yes. So he's he's seeing this widespread devastation all over the former Commonwealth. Yeah. And. Uh, fragile spinning stones we call worlds. I mean, just just all of the planets being devastated. We know that they're being ravaged by Nietzschean and Magog. I kind of wonder, I I have no basis for this at all. Uh, This is pure speculation and imagination, really. he's, He's traveled. He has traveled the slipstream 
presumably every nook and cranny, trying to find Tarn Vedra. Yeah. I kind of wonder if maybe he had stumbled upon the world ship. Ah, that's an interesting thought. And somehow got out of there alive, uh, but mad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he... uh... Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Maybe that's why he did go crazy. I don't know. I mean, I have absolutely no basis at all for saying that, but I'm just... But that's an interesting... Yeah. Like I said, that's interesting speculation. Why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is, if if he did, in fact, find Tarn Vedra, the hardest thing in the universe to find, mm-hmm. uh, why not stumble upon the world ship and all of a sudden realize just how fragile those galaxies are and without the Commonwealth in place, just how easy it's going to be for that world ship to just overrun everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That'd make a person go nuts. (laughs) Interesting thought. Interesting thought. Thank you. All right. So Ethan, I guess just, uh, some, some final thoughts. Let's wrap this show up. What just the, the, the episode it's our come around at last. What are your, what are your thoughts as we conclude? Well, like I said, it's another ship in the bottle. Yeah. Episode. And I don't really have any problem with that. It's just for the finale, for the finale, mm-hmm. you maybe you were hoping for something a little bit bigger. And, and it all, for the most part, takes place on the ship. And then it's another AI problem story for the mm-hmm. most part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a little off-putting to me. But what I really appreciate about this episode is is we get to see the interactions between the characters. Tear and Harper together. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed seeing them together in this episode, mm-hmm. and you really get a sense that Tear has maybe a, maybe a little bit of a growing respect for Harper. Harper's been through some tough stuff, and he is almost paralyzed by his fear of the Magog. Mm-hmm. But there at the end, the last few episodes, scenes that where we see him fighting, he forces himself to gather his wits about himself, mm-hmm. and Tear respects that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool to see that interaction. Dylan and Becca, them together fighting and talking and and sharing their thoughts about, you know, the building of the Commonwealth. Uh, I thought that was really good. Some good interactions there. We get a little bit more about trance. She knows more than what she's letting on. And Andromeda kind of calls her on it, mm-hmm. you know, when she makes that observation about we're going further into Magog space. Well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Is what Andromeda asked. Well, she knows more than what she's letting mm-hmm. on. I, I, it was just a good episode to see all of the characters and see where they're at at the end of this first season. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed that. And then on top of it, we get to blow the CG budget, special effects budget, with this massive set piece, the world ship itself. They've been saving all season for that one, haven't <laughs> that they? One, I guess they have. And it, it doesn't disappoint. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. I mean, if you really think about the scope of, of what that is, and, and what is contained within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really cool. And then we get to see the, the very end of the episode with our heroes in dire, extreme peril. Mm-hmm. And, and the ship is, you know, wrecked. And the, the bodies of the crew, android or otherwise, are wrecked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, it's just, it's, it was a good episode. It was a good episode, and it was a great way to end this first season. And uh, had I been watching in 2001, uh, I'd have been chomping at the bit. When is season two going to start? Fortunately, we don't have to wait that long. 
<laughs> and so mainly for that, maybe partly because of that reason, I enjoy this episode. Because <laughs> it's not, I don't have to deal with the frustration because I get to go ahead and watch immediately what happens uh, to continue the story. You know, I didn't mind at all that it was a ship in the bottle episode. Um, I think I think it kind of had to be for for what we had. Uh, the AI thing, yeah, I mean it's a little annoying that it happens all the time. But I think I'm starting to come to grips with that it's an AI. We should expect it to screw up. That's kind of what I've been saying all along. Is that I hate AI because you can't trust it. Yeah. Okay, well, here we've got it. Yep. AI, you can't trust it. I don't like the idea of something that you can just go in and change, alter, or erase its memories. And and then that's that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want someone poking around in my brain and just extracting memories. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't like the idea of people being able to do that to uh, other people. Uh, I don't like people being able to do that to my 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 starship. So, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, cause you, you can see what happens when stuff like that, it just goes haywire. And and now everyone's dead. Yep. I, I think, I don't know, I think everyone's dead. So, like you, I'm looking forward to seeing the next episode. And uh, maybe somehow they'll be not dead. But... Um, you know, you had mentioned there the 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 interplay between Harper and Tear. Yeah. And I too enjoyed that a lot. And there seemed to be for Harper, there was growth. I I like to see a character have growth. Uh whether it's over the course of a season or the series or like this. This is just in in an episode. Mm-hmm. Um He's like you said. He's completely paralyzed, and then by the end, he's he's crazy courageous. He's yeah. like, I got a great idea. Let's just knife him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't think it's going to work out, but good on you, boy. So. But what I liked about that too is that that growth comes with tear by his side. Yeah. And 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 I'm sorry, I'm probably stepping on you here. No. I just feel like I have to bring it up again. Tyr has a really great moment with Harper when mm-hmm. he grabs his face and says, these are your demons. Mm-hmm. Face them. You know, it, it, my wife asked, why is Tyr on the ship? <laughs> <laughs> this is why Tyr is on the ship, really, is what it comes down to. Tyr is that catalyst that allows the other characters to see things about themselves that are imperfect. Because Tyr will point it out to them. Mm-hmm. And here, here, that's exactly what Tyr does for Harper. He points out his weakness, his imperfection. And it forces Harper to acknowledge it and stand up against it. And, and yeah, so you're absolutely right. We get to see growth out of Harper. But yeah, I think it's neat that it's, you know, Tyr is there to kind of help him along with mm-hmm. that growth. Well, you never see growth just come from nothing. There's always... There's always something behind yeah. it. Yep. And you know, I, I kind of throughout this first season, we've had different elements of uh, of villains or foils, and and so whether it's whether it's Resters or Nietzschean or whatever, it just kind of seems like there's always that that villain of the week. Yeah. Um. 
And the story arc is all about trying to restore the Commonwealth in spite of these week-to-week difficulties that they face. Mm -hmm. I think this show just got way more interesting with this finale and seeing this massive Magog world ship coming their way. Now they know what's coming if they can get out of this, if they survive, if if they're not dead, yeah, like it looks like they're dead. I think I, <laughs> I still think they're dead, but you know, it, if if they can get out of this, then the things that can come from this, this is big. This is something that is really, really big. It's not just yeah, yeah, yeah. I I see what you're saying. Yeah. The you, the the galaxy's biggest problem now is no longer getting the Nietzscheans to back off and reestablishing the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. That isn't your, the center of your story any mm-hmm. longer. Yeah, now you have a very real present danger. <laughs> right, yeah. To, not just to the galaxies, but to, to all of these little squabbling factions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They need to be warned. Right. It, it's a game changer. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I'll tell you this, too, is that when, when I watched this show first run, um, I remember seeing there were several episodes that I saw that stuck with me that I remembered, and but I only got into it about uh, about halfway through the second season or so. Okay, and then um, life circumstances didn't allow me to just to watch it very much anymore. So then here a couple years ago when I started rewatching Andromeda, some of it I remembered, most of it I had forgotten. When I came to this episode, I was I was kind of on the fence about whether or not I was enjoying it, but I I was I wasn't sure whether I wanted to, to stick it out for the rest of the next four seasons. Yeah, this episode is the episode that hooked me on Andromeda. This was when I started talking to you about this show, okay, and saying, dude. You gotta you gotta watch the show. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I mean, all the stuff before this has been interesting, but this totally changed the game. Uh, to me, it changed the game in the universe, and it changed the game for me as a viewer. As a viewer, yeah, yeah. So I mean, no, my I, my interest yeah. in this show just tenfold. Yeah. Well, to me, yeah, I I I can see that because anytime you can end a show with a cliffhanger like what they've just done here. Mm-hmm. You you you're invested in the characters. Now they're in danger, and, and <clears throat> that's a very good point you make. It's not a flavor of the week type villain. This is uh, this is that that shadowy figure. We've seen him in a previous episode, mm-hmm. and we know it's very powerful. Well, now it's leading probably the biggest threat the galaxies have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to know how this story is going to end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, that's great. So if I haven't completely shown my hand already, Ethan, I did like this episode. I liked it as well. All right. <laughs> no problem with agreeing on it. <laughs> no problem. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode. You know what? Before I get to all of our uh, our contact information and everything, Ethan, let's talk a little bit about next week. Because usually we introduce the yep. episode name for the next week. Yep. And... Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different, aren't we? Yeah, I thought it would be good to um, to go ahead and have an episode where we'll actually discuss what we've seen over the course of this first season. Um, 
instead of just jumping right into the next episode, we're going to kind of leave it on a little bit of a cliffhanger. If mm-hmm. you've not watched the series, if you're following along with the podcast episode by episode and you don't know what's coming next, yeah, you're going to have to wait a little bit. But what we're going to do is, is, is discuss what we've learned, uh, where our characters started their journey, what they've a little bit about what they've gone through, and, and now where we have seen them end up in the, the final few scenes of this, uh, this cliffhanger that we've just watched. And uh, and then we're going to also discuss a few other things, trivia, about the show itself. Um, I've got some information about uh, ratings for, for the season one and how they impacted uh, the show getting uh, brought on for a second season. Okay. And uh, we might have some special guests. Who knows? We might have some uh, some discussions on some listener feedback. Yes, we That's will. where you guys come in. Yes. Uh, we'd like to have some stuff to talk about, so if you would uh, send us your emails, send us uh, some messages on Twitter, uh, get in contact with us. Yeah, we would really like to be able to do this show uh, with a, a couple of three or more. We'd love to have some feedback from the viewers, just to know that we're, we're reaching a few of you and, and just what y'all are think about the show, Andromeda itself or Andromeda and, and, the, and our podcast. We, mm-hmm. we really would like to hear from you. Uh, before we do the show next week. Ethan, if somebody did want to do that, how would they get a hold of us? That's uh, You can send us an email at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us and follow us on Twitter. We are at AndromedaPod. Our home is on Podbean. We're www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. You can uh, also find us on iTunes. If you listen there, uh, subscribe, uh, give us a review. We'd certainly appreciate it hearing back from you there. Uh, Give us some stars, too. Big thanks to our good friend, Tim Kimmerly, who, again, gave us his voice for this week's quote. You know, Ethan, we don't have a quote next week. No, we don't. But we might still hear Tim Kimmerly's voice. We may have the man himself. We are an Age of Geek production, and we do hope that you will join us back here again next week for our Season 1 Wrap-Up.